0: This morning, we're going to be continuing our series through the book of Colossians. Last week, we considered Paul's opening prayer of thanksgiving over the Colossians. And this week, Paul continues a prayer, but he transitions from thanksgiving to a prayer of intercession. He goes from praising God to imploring God on their behalf. And what's interesting is that the same fact drives both of these prayers, the prayer of thanksgiving. And the prayer of intercession both are driven by these facts. This fact that they've just become Christians. And so Paul, on the one hand, can give thanks and say, praise God because of you. God has done in you what you couldn't do for yourself. He has given you saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise the Lord. But that same fact also fills Paul with a holy concern for their welfare as saints. It fills him with holy concern for them. And so it drives him to his knees in ceaseless prayer over them. He can say, praise God, he has made you his saints, but I have been burdened for you in prayer ever since I heard of your faith. Why? Why does he say this? He knows they've gone from couch to 5K, or to put it in better terms, couch to marathon. They've gone from couch to sainthood. Paul knows that they've gone from not running at all to running the marathon of the Christian life, which is long and difficult. He knows the race can be full of discouragement. He knows that there are false teachers in their midst who are suggesting that they, they have the answers to their struggles and that they have the quick fixes that will fill their life with what's lacking. But this is why Paul is on his knees here. He's wanting them to run their race with the wisdom and strength that they already have access to in Jesus Christ. They need not look elsewhere, as the false teachers suggest. They need only to deepen their roots in Christ. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word in Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 through 14. And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This is God's word. Let's pray as we consider it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that it it is what um, is said in, in John chapter 10, that your sheep hear your voice and you love them and, you, and they follow you. And so we pray that the opening of your word and through the ordinary preaching of your word that your sheep would hear your voice and that we would be strengthened and fed and nourished that we might follow after you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So your perceived status, the status that you perceive about yourself powerfully impacts How you live. So think about it this way: when you go from really running, really going from couch to five k in running, your brain will begin to tell you when you start running, like, "Hey, wait a second! Like this is this is not normal. You're you're not a runner, really. Uh, You see how hard this is. You hear how heavy you're breathing. You feel those aches. Like your brain is telling you, you're not cut out for this. You're more of a couch person. You're not a runner." And so it's easy when you just start out to, to listen to those facts and, and agree. It's like, yeah, I, I'm not a runner. And so running is not becomes something you, you don't enjoy and you don't do consistently because your perceived status is, I'm not a runner. But what if a friend encourages you and says, no, you are a runner. It's hard to do this, but you've got all the tools you need to be a great runner. You see, your perceived status goes from I'm not a runner in that moment to I am a runner. And you can say, yes, I I am breathing hard and I'm aching, but I'm not a couch person anymore. I'm a runner. And so what begins to happen when you take on this status and this mindset? You begin to run more consistently and with more joy because your status, your perceived status powerfully impacts how you live, and how, in this case, how you run. And so, this is our struggle for all of us in, in the long race of sainthood. We start out, and we quickly feel the strain of living the Christian life, and we conclude, I'm not a saint. I'm not really cut out for this. Like, look at these failures. Look at all these falls. Like, I'm not a, I'm not a runner. I'm more of a couch person, so you're down in the dumps, and to make matters worse, there there are false teachers, and there were false teachers in the midst of Colossae, and there are similar voices in the world today that will turn to you in that moment and say, well, of course you're discouraged. Like, yeah, you, you've believed in Jesus Christ, that's a good first step, but now you need to move along. Now you need to graduate from that and take on steps two through ten, which I have, and I can show you. And once you get that, you'll get the knowledge, the power, the fullness that you crave. And your life won't be a struggle as much anymore. But Paul's prayer for them in the face of that is that they grow more and more in their new status, to make their true status more and more their perceived status, that they really are, through faith in Jesus Christ, already declared saints. And therefore, their, their life is a response of gratitude. They, they are to live like saints because they've been made saints. So yes, you yourself have, you have some lack in and of yourself, but you have some growing to do. But in Christ, Paul wants to emphasize there is no lack. In Christ, there is no lack. You have all the tools you need in Jesus Christ. Which brings us to the main point I want to emphasize this morning. It's that Christ alone empowers you to live in your new status. Christ alone empowers you to live in your new status. And so, we'll look at that under three points. And basically, the, the main idea is this. In your long race to run in your new status, you need knowledge, you need power, and he gives Christ. Knowledge, power, and he gives Christ. So, first, let's look at knowledge. Look with me again in verses 9 and 10. Paul is praying, and he says he's asking— that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. So you cannot run the race without knowing the way without knowing the way to go. Else, you'll be running aimlessly. You'll be running in vain. So there's, there's a degree to which you need to know certain knowledge. So Paul prays for them to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, that they might live their lives in a way that's fully pleasing to the Lord, that they might bear much fruit. So let's, let's break that down for a second. First, he prays that he, they might be filled with the knowledge of God's will. What, what do we mean by that, the, the knowledge of? of God's will. Well, it doesn't mean that you're filled with the knowledge of what God will do and what he won't do in the future. It doesn't mean this, this future, futuristic knowledge. It means that you're filled with the knowledge of what he wants you to do and not to do in the present. This doesn't mean knowledge of his hidden will, which he hasn't revealed to us that, you know, maybe by knowing this knowledge, you think, being filled with that kind of knowledge, you can somehow ascertain whether, you know, I am to take this job in Nashville and not this job in Birmingham. It doesn't work that way. He, he means knowledge of his revealed will, knowledge of what he's already revealed in, in his word, so that you might live for his pleasure and for his glory, whether you take this or that job. It, it's knowing God's will for your life, not in the sense that you know every turn along the way before it comes, but in the First Thessalonians 4, 3 way, that when Paul says there, this is God's will, your sanctification. That is, his will for your life is your growth in holiness. You're becoming more and more like Jesus. That's what he wants for you. That's, it, it's, knowing, it's wanting to know what he likes and dislikes. Not that you might earn points with him, but because you actually love him. And you want to do what he delights in. Uh, When Mackenzie and I were dating, because I liked her so much, and it was my joy to continue getting to know her, I actually kept a list on my phone of things that she liked and didn't like and consulted it regularly. Uh, I I would write down on that list, she likes this restaurant and not that one. She likes this coffee shop and not that one. And she'd rather go to a sporting event than to some show. And so, I just wanted to know all the things. I just wanted to know all the things because I wanted to know her. It was my joy to bring her joy through what she liked. Well, it's, it's kind of like that. So, th- the more we know God, the more we, want to, the more we love him. And the more we love him, the more we want to know him. And so, but just having the, not, that knowledge by itself isn't enough. And so, you need to know how to implement that knowledge in a way that is worthy of the Lord, in a way that accomplishes the most good in the best way. And that's why Paul tacks on this extra phrase, I want you to be filled with, with the knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom. So let's talk about wisdom for a second. Wisdom is is different from knowledge. But you can't have wisdom without having knowledge. Knowledge is the data. It's knowing what God's will is. It's it's searching the scriptures and learning what what God's will is, what he likes, what he doesn't like. Wisdom is the skill. It's the art of godly living in a complex and broken world. And you grow, we talk about knowledge, you grow in knowledge by diving into God's word and treasuring it and storing it up. But how do you grow in the art of wisdom? For example, if a friend wrongs you, and you search the scriptures, and you can probably come up with like, I don't know, a lot of different ways. But let's say you narrow it down to three ways that you can respond to your friend who's wronged you. Um, so which one's the best? Which one's going to bring about the most good in that situation? Each each option is can be biblical. You can say, oh, I can speak the truth and love to this person in this way. I can speak the truth and love to this person in that way. Or I can even, you know overlook this offense like all three of these options are are biblical and valid but which one is going to do the most good that requires wisdom so how do we grow in wisdom well it's it's through the means of grace there's prayer we grow in wisdom through his word but there's another source of wisdom that i want to highlight that we often neglect especially as americans and that's christian community There's one proverb that says that you can't be wise without friends. You need community. You benefit from life experience of other Christian brothers and sisters than you have. That's why if you're a young person in the congregation today, it is my appeal to you to know the older people around you in this congregation. You can't be wise without them. And to the older people in our congregation, the younger people need you. And that's why we put such an emphasis on our intergenerational small groups that we call digging deeper. We need each other if we're going to be wise, if we're going to be fruitful in every good work, if we're going to be increasing in the knowledge of God. Christian community helps us become wise and so choose the paths that will bring about the most good to the glory of God. So you need knowledge. If you're going to run this race, you need wisdom. And in Christ, knowledge empowers you to live in your new status. But Paul's prayer doesn't end there because we know, we can know the right thing to do, but still lack the power, the courage to do it. So Paul continues in his prayer under this point, you need power. We'll consider that together. Look at with me in verse 11. Paul continues praying, being strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might, For all endurance and patience with joy. You cannot run the race in your new status without external power. Because doing the right thing isn't always popular. It isn't always comfortable. It isn't always the easiest thing to do. And so we need supernatural power if we're going to be able to do it. So Paul therefore continues praying. He prays for their strengthening with all power. And so here's a place where the false teachers in Colossae would have been having a field day because the Colossian Christians were feeling acutely their, their struggle, their failures in the Christian life to, to live their lives fully pleasing to God. And so they wonder if they're, if they're missing something, if they lack some power. And the false teachers are standing by eagerly saying, oh yeah, if you want more power, like step right this way. We've got all these things you can... You can download and implement. They're pulling you away from Christ. But Paul points to the sufficiency of Christ in this moment. There is no lack in Jesus Christ. In him is all power, he says. He strengthens you according to his glorious might. And that's an awesome little phrase to think about and treasure up. Be strengthened according to his glorious might. Uh, One commentator described it like this. He says if a, a billionaire is going to help you out of his, his wealth, then that may mean he might give you a little or he might give you a lot. You don't really know. But if a billionaire says he's going to give and help you out uh, according to his wealth, in accordance with his wealth, then you know he's leveraging all his wealth he has to help you. And so Paul points the struggling Colossians back to Jesus and prays that they'd realize that they are connected to and partnered with someone who has infinite resources. So they need not search elsewhere for help. So everything thus far in Paul's prayer, um, if you're sitting back and listening to it, would have received hearty amens. Paul's praying for their growth in knowledge. Yes, amen, I want that. He's praying for their growth and power. Awesome. I want that. But then what comes next is what Dick, Luke, Dick Lucas calls the great anticlimax of Paul's prayer. He says he wants you to be strengthened with all power for all endurance and patience. And then all the air goes out of the balloon, right? Um, if we're honest, this is not what we want all power for. We want all power... So that our life would run smoothly, without any problems. But the life of a saint is one that calls for endurance and patience. We're not guaranteed comfortable and stress-free lives. But we are united to him who has all power and who strengthens us for the purpose of endurance. And so by endurance, Paul means that we can face difficult circumstances and trials in our lives the paths that we ourselves wouldn't choose for ourselves, we can walk through them. He empowers us to walk by faith through them, trusting him, praising him, relying on him, continuing to do the right thing that he calls us to, even when it's hard. That's endurance. And, and patience, what he means by patience is when someone wrongs us, we don't blow up on them. He strengthens us to grow in our Christ-like character, not to repay evil for evil, but to repay evil with good. And so you need supernatural strengthening from Christ and from his unlimited resources of power to do this, to be patient. And then Paul tacks on that last phrase, with joy. Patience with joy. So we don't rejoice in our suffering in and of itself. Now that would be wrong. But we do suffer, or we do rejoice that even in our sufferings, God has ordained them and is working out our good in them, and we are sanctified in them. Our hope becomes more and more fixed on Christ because of them. Our patience is mixed with joy because he's working it all for good. So we can rejoice to that degree in our sufferings. So let me stop and ask this. Whose power are you relying on today? Are you relying on your power or on Christ's power to live your life in your new status. Um, Randy Pope is a fellow PCA pastor in Atlanta that many of you may know, Um, and he told this story where uh, he saw one of his church security guards ride his bike to work, to church, and so he was getting out of his car, and he was seeing this guy roll in on his bike, and it was a big guy, and he was really impressive, like, I know how far your house is from here. It's many miles away. There's lots of hills. Like you're a big guy, you're not even breaking a sweat. Like I'm, he started to, c- to congratulate him. Like this is amazing. I'm, I'm so impressed by you. Um, and this guy you know, started hearing it, and then says, well, "Let me show you something. Like you see that box right there on my bike? That's a motor. Um, so what was powering this man's ride was was a motor." So, when, when he encountered a hill that was too much for him, that was hard, he could just flip a switch and turn on the motor and ride up the hill effortlessly. And so, that's a picture of living the Christian life by Christ's power, living in your new status by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so, uh, let me ask you again, are you tired in, in living out your Christian life? Do you feel tired and weary? Could it be that you're trying to pedal up these hills and not realizing you're connected to a much greater power source. So, when Christ empowers you to live in your new status, you, have, you don't only have power, or you don't only have knowledge, but he also gives you power. But the question is how do we get this power? And that's our third point. He gives Christ, the Father gives Christ. So, look with me in verses 12 through 14. Paul continues praying, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And so, the way you grow in knowledge, the way you grow in power, it seems counterintuitive. It's not striving after what you don't already possess. It's in thanking God, the Father, for what he has already put in your possession through Christ. It's rejoicing. It's giving thanks for what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. It's it's realizing what you already have in him. That in him you have all life, all joy, peace with God, everlasting life, every spiritual blessing and salvation. And so, one of the ways that you grow in your sanctification, this ongoing process of becoming more and more like Christ. One of the ways you grow in your sanctification is that you rejoice and you rest in your justification, the the finished work of Jesus Christ. Hearing from the cross, it is finished, it is done. The more you rejoice and rest in that, the more you're strengthened to walk out in, in your sanctification. And so Paul exhorts... And Paul prays here to keep our hearts in this frame of gratitude. He says, in giving thanks to the Father. So once again, we see that we come to the hallmark of the Christian life, and that's gratitude. Paul wants us to be constantly giving thanks to the Father. Gratitude comes up again in this passage because we're never finished with gratitude. You never get over the love of God in Christ. So you never cease in gratitude. So here, Paul, after saying that, lists three things the Father has done, that the Father has done for us that we might continually give thanks to him for. He has qualified us, he has delivered us, and he has transferred us. So first, let's look at qualified. Paul wants us to continually give thanks that the Father has qualified you. And now, we can scarcely overestimate just how much our lives are spent seeking to qualify ourselves? How much of our lives are seeking to qualify ourselves? Seeking to earn someone else's favor? Constantly worrying, where do I stand with these people? Seeking to prove our worth. But here's the good news. Here's the wonder. This scripture says, Father, the Father has qualified you. He has made you fit. He has made you worthy. He has dealt with your sin, which disqualifies you. And he has provided for you a perfect righteousness in Christ. So what does he say he has qualified us for? He has qualified us for a share in the inheritance reserved for the saints in the light. So what is that? It's eternity with him. It's, it's eternity with him in the new heavens and the new earth, which he has prepared for his saints so this would have been, again, a major blow to the false teaching that was going on in Colossae, which would have you look elsewhere for your proof, for, to prove your worth. But the saint in Christ can stop and give thanks in the here and now and say, I'm already qualified in Christ. I need no more ink on my resume. My future home is secure. And I have right now a share in the inheritance of the saints of light. So he has qualified us. And secondly, he has delivered us out of the domain of darkness. This word delivered can also mean rescued or literally dragged away from danger. So think about it this way. It's not that he, the Father has opened up a pathway for us to, to run out and escape. It's more like the house was on fire. We were unconscious. We were trapped. And he broke in and drug us out. And so what, what did he drag us out of? Scripture says it's the domain of darkness. We were drug out of the domain of darkness. So because of Adam's first sin, way back in Genesis 3, we were all born into the domain of darkness, enslaved and shackled there by our sin. We were helpless, hopeless, unable to escape under the reign of death, under condemnation, under the reign of Satan. But the Father has delivered us from there and he's not only taken us out of a bad situation and just put us somewhere else, he has transferred you, the third verb that Paul uses, he's transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. So instead of being under the rule and reign of Satan and sin and death, the father has brought you out of that and placed you in the kingdom of his beloved son. Which means if you're in Christ, you are no longer enslaved. You're no longer bound by the shackles to sin. Those shackles have been broken. You are no longer in the realm where sin reigns supreme. You're no longer in darkness. You have been transferred to a very good place, the kingdom of his beloved son, the kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's through faith in him that you are now a citizen of that kingdom. Your passport, your spiritual passport, doesn't say anymore belongs to the domain of darkness, but it says belongs to the kingdom of of the beloved son, so think about this concept again. Your, your perceived status powerfully impacts how you live. Let's apply that to this situation. Think about um, you're a believer, and but you're triggered to go back to an old sin pattern in your life, whatever it is. So how does your how does your status inform that? Well, if you say when that temptation comes, that's not who I am anymore. I am a saint. The Father has delivered me out of the realm of darkness. It ha- it, sin no longer has its chains around me. I can thank the Lord for delivering me from that. Do you think that way? Or do you think, ah, here comes the temptation. I'm a sinner, and here's my temptation to sin. Uh, I want to say no, but yeah, I guess this is who I am. So do you see, Paul in these verses puts tremendous value on knowing who you are on knowing where the Father has placed you. And so the more you give thanks for that, the more temptations will lose their power in your life. Why? Like these temptations to sin, they aren't fitting for you anymore. That's, that's your old status. That's beneath your new status as a saint. Those sins, those temptations, that's beneath you now. And the Father, because the Father has busted you out of that realm and you are growing up in your new status as a kingdom citizen King George V um, in England became the king in the early 1900s. And he had several young children. And um, they were normal children, which means they were wild and rambunctious and crazy. Um, But they also had this title of royalty put on them. And so whenever they would act wild and crazy, as kids do, he would admonish them saying, My dear children, you must always remember who you are. And John Stott, citing that story, said this, it is my conviction that our Heavenly Father says, that, says the very same thing to us every day. My dear child, remember who you are. But we haven't yet gotten to the question, how has the Father done all these things? How has he qualified us? How has he delivered us? How has he transferred us? And all these verbs in the Greek... Qualified, delivered, transferred. There's they're, a Greek verb tense that refers to a completed action done in the past. So what is the completed action that Paul has in mind that the Father has done for us that has qualified us, delivered us, and transferred us? It's the cross of Christ. That is the completed action that has once and for all qualified us. There the Father gave up his Son, that the son might take our place, the place of unqualified people, the place of people deserving eternal punishment away from his presence due to our sin. He, he, Jesus was put where he didn't deserve to be on the cross so that we might be put where we don't deserve to be, the kingdom of his beloved son. It's his life, his death, his resurrection that has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to his kingdom. And as a result of that, the father giving up his son, Paul says in him, present tense, we have redemption. We have forgiveness of sins. That word for redemption is a Greek word, a very specific word that means to free from captivity by paying a price. Free from slavery by paying a price. It was a ransom fee. So he's saying we have been ransomed. We have been bought. We've been forgiven by the blood of Christ. The power that the, the domain of darkness had over you in your sin is gone. It can no longer condemn you. It can no longer keep you bound. It's been paid for full and forgiven. The work of Christ has broken the power of sin. And so to run the long race in your new status, you need knowledge. You need power. And the Father has graciously given us Christ. Romans 8, 32 says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christ alone empowers you to live in your new status. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the blessing that it is, that it reminds us of the complete work that you have done for us in Jesus Christ and how that secures for us a status that even we cannot lose or mess up. We pray that you would give us the grace, the knowledge, the power to live out our lives in our new status. We pray that you would break the power of sin in our lives. You help us to turn from temptation that we might live in a way that pleases you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.